the idea here was to kind of sit around the fire, the Oscar Toison piece, but since it's pouring rain, um, we'll just sit in here. But it's, it's the same, same kind of idea. And um, Michelle, will you, will you hold up this book? So um, yesterday, or, or Friday, um, Friday we published this book um, on the Aspen Art Museum, and it's called Something Greater, 40 Years, and it has a full exhibition history, and it has excerpts from uh, the oral histories that, that we did with StoryCorps when we won the National Medal. And um, there's an incredible essay by Andrew Travers that was intended to be 10,000 words and ended up at 25,000 words because we have a really important story to tell. And um, so we wanted to kind of use this moment to have people just share, um, share a story, um, a short story. Uh, about the museum, and so I asked Dick Carter to go first. So, uh, well, Heidi asked me to talk about my most memorable uh, thoughts about the museum, and of course, that is the fact that the origin story of the museum sort of runs through my brain. Um, I moved here in uh, 1972, 1971. I'm sorry, and I worked for Herbert Beyer up on basalt on uh, Red Mountain, and uh, so I would drive by that old powerhouse four times every day, up and down the hill. Five, four times a day for about five years steady. And uh, I got so curious about the building. It was just, you know, it was just a, a warehouse for Holy Cross Electric. And so uh, you could pay your uh, electric bill on there, and I started to go in there just so I could see what was inside. And it was just a gravel floor. It had an old Dodge in there. There were a bunch of transformers. It was just disheveled, but it was so beautiful. And all I could think about is what this could be. I thought, I'd love to get my hands in this. I'd like it for myself. It would be a great studio. It would have cost a fortune to rehab, of course, but those, that was the dream. And so shortly around that time, uh, the city acquired the building along with the Wheeler Opera House and the old hospital. And uh, they uh, set out to find out what to do with it. And they appointed some task force uh, to, to decide what to do with each of those structures. And I immediately got together with Missy Thorne and Diane Louie and said, we, gotta, we have to jam this task force with our friends. And then we'll recommend it that it be, uh, at the time we called it the Aspen Center for the Visual Arts because we didn't think it'd be a collecting museum. But uh, three years later, you know, the doors opened and it was incredible. It, uh, it was a lot of dealing with skeptical politicians. You can relate to that. <laughs> that didn't change. Um, and it was just a lot of work for people who had really hadn't done anything like this, but it was a community effort, and I, uh, we just forged ahead. We got great outside uh, consultants who, uh, I think a Mary Beebe in Portland at the time was very helpful to us, and um, so from uh, the, the city acquiring that building uh, till it opened was about, it was about three years, and the city actually financed the reconstruction of the building, and the support of the grounds and all that. And then we hired a director, Philip Yenowin, and we were off and it started showing really great stuff from the very beginning. So, you know, a simple dream in a, a young man's head and a few friends, and there you go. So that's my most memorable thing is how the thing started. It was just so improbable that that would happen. And here it is, 40 years later. It's great. Well, I mean, I think the whole idea of how one approaches the 
um, improbable is, I mean, that's the origin story. You know, it's like improbable right. to who and when and why. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I, Aspen was a creative community at the time, and I think they were receptive to it, and uh, it really was a community effort, and, uh, and we can still do those things here, apparently. Here we are, in the new building. Thanks, Heidi. <laughs> Thanks, Dick. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, Nancy, gonna come up? This is Nancy Magoon. Hi, everyone. My story is very short. How I got involved with this museum. Um, I believe in museums. I believe in the way they enrich your life. I was married to a man who was very quiet and uh, type A always marries type B. I'm the social butterfly. He was very quiet. When we moved here to Aspen, he said, promise me that you will not do anything because I dragged him all around Miami for years and I said, I promise. Eventually, Heidi called and invited me to lunch. And she said, I would like you to be um, the chairman of the board. And Bob went, oh, no, no, we're not getting involved with anything. I've retired here. I want a quiet life. And so we left. And according to Heidi, a few weeks later, he called Heidi and said, do you really want Nancy to work with you? And she said yes, and the rest is history. This museum has enriched my life in every way. The friends I've made, <clears throat> the people I've hooked up with, the artists. Um, I can't imagine my life in Aspen without this museum. Thanks, Nancy. <laughs> Stefan, you can come up. My turn. Your turn. And, and that is... That is a true story, and it wasn't even a couple weeks later, it was the next day, and Bob Magoon, uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, speak at Bob's memorial, and, and I told that story, um, and Nancy had never, because he said to me, you can't ever tell Nancy that I called you. So I figured at his memorial it was okay to tell that story. Um, but actually, when I was interviewing for the job, I interviewed at Bob and Nancy's house, and he came up to me at the end of my presentation, and he put his either hand on either um, arm of the chair that I was sitting in, and he said, do you want this job? And I said, I do, and he said, okay. So he was a man that made things happen. So another man that makes things happen, Stefan Edlitz. I've been around for a long time, but there's only one really memorable moment in all these years. And that was when the building was up halfway. I want everybody here to look up, please, right now. Okay. So when I saw what this guy did to create strength, there's five feet of snow load. In, in the third right, it was called Kraft or Freude. <laughs> you had grace, strength through grace. And I realized what a genius we hired. No architect I know of could have come up that way. That's my. So Stefan, thank you. Uh, let's see, um, we're gonna have Carrie McGonnelly up in just a second, so you can come up. But Stefan was on the architect selection committee with us and I referenced last night in the Shigeru Bond presentation that we literally traveled around the world uh, in five days. And on this trip, 
Stefan was on his hands and knees in every building that the architects were showing us, asking about the drainage and, you know, the, I mean, all of these different components. So uh, for Stefan's compliment of the trust, it, it comes from a place of immense knowledge. So, Carrie. So third grade teacher at Aspen Elementary. Yes, I'm very fortunate to be a teacher at the school. And um, so my memory is bringing my classes here. So Annie, who's in the audience, who wears many hats here, organizes the elementary programs. And it's been phenomenal to bring kids here because I always tell the kids, everyone's an artist, everyone's a poet, and you bring them here. And this year we went to the Margaret Kilgallen exhibit and a little boy in my class just, he took his hands by his face and he was like, my mind is blown. And it was so cool to see that because they saw the crossover between art and poetry. And I think it's so important that we have the art museum here to support the school. And so I'm very appreciative. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Samuel Bernal. Thank you. It's hard to choose my favorite memory, but I think uh, one of my favorite memories is that the museum created a program to, to bring more of the Latino community uh, into the museum that is called Arte en Español. And my favorite event was one time that uh, the museum recognized the work of uh, Latino immigrants who work in construction because you know, architecture is one of the beauty arts and, and the standards that are expected from these workers is very high. So we thought it would be a good idea to, to have a public ceremony to recognize them and, and the museum give, uh, gave them a certificate. So they came with their families and these are workers that maybe they had never been recognized in a way like that and in the Aspornet Museum. So it was a very beautiful moment. And personally, when I think of a museum, I think of beauty as part of it, and I think that was a, a beautiful moment. Thank you. Thank you. So I'll, I'll just share that when we received the National Medal, Samuel came with me to Washington, D.C. to receive it. And um, we had a little bit of time between when we had to practice um, walking across the stage and shaking hands with the different people, Cokie Roberts, right, um, you know, who gave us the um, award, Samuel hadn't been to D.C. before, and so um, we spent the afternoon driving around to the different monuments in Washington, and um, I felt really grateful to be able to do that. So, um, Andrew Travers. So, um, as the uh, arts editor at the Aspen Times, I I've covered the museum here for the last eight years or so. Um, and it's provided uh, many of the high points uh, in my career, talking to artists um, and telling the story of this place, the birth of this building, and sort of the full flowering of, it, of this institution's mission um, in this space. Um, and uh, as Heidi mentioned, this spring, she asked me to write an essay and indulge me when I wrote long and uh, indulge me with full access to the archives here, which was another great joy. Um, but the, the quick story I wanted to share uh, isn't in that book and is more personal than professional, um, but I think it does sort of speak to the, the heart and the spirit of this place, um, which was um, at the Gabriel Rico opening um, just earlier this year. Uh, normally, when there's a new show opening, I will be sort of hanging out 
beforehand. I'll be at the installation or talk to the artist, and I'll, I'll have a lot of intel before the opening. In this case, um, I wasn't able to do that, um, and I figured I would just show up uh, at the exhibition opening, run a tape recorder, take some notes, and you know, write something after the fact. Um, and I also happened to have my daughter with me um, that evening. Um, she uh, was not quite 18 months, very much a toddler, just learning to walk. Um, and as we walked inside, uh, there was a big crowd gathered in the hallway outside, uh, which is uh, unusual. The uh, museum, the uh, gallery doors were closed. Um, and then Heidi came out and sort of addressed everyone and said, uh, everyone, I just want to let you know that uh, the exhibition inside is uh, extremely delicate and it involves dozens of small ceramic sculptures placed on the floor. Um, uh, news of this, at the news of this, I looked down at my wrecking ball of a toddler, <laughs> just sort of grinning up at me maniacally um, and bumping into things, um, and thought, uh, oh shit. <laughs> um, but uh, that is the point at which, um, at most art museums, a docent would come up and say, sir, do not go inside this gallery. <laughs> uh, but I think, as most of you know, the Aspen Art Museum is not most art museums. Um, we were welcomed inside. Um, and uh, as Gabriel and Heidi started their talk, a guide actually came up and said, oh, let me hold your tape recorder so you can you know, walk around with your daughter and, and show, her, uh, show her the work here. Um, and uh, she didn't touch anything. She didn't drool on anything. She didn't break anything, thank God. Um, and I think, um, I think that's because of the way that she felt welcomed and the way that she felt uplifted. Um, and uh, I think that that speaks to sort of a cornerstone of what I found in this place, um, which is this kind of radical commitment to openness and uh, uh, sort of... Uh, a dogged commitment to accessibility and the belief that um, the art that's here is here for everyone, um, including <laughs> my, my little daughter who, uh, who maybe shouldn't have been <laughs> welcome. Um, and, um, you know, I see that, I've seen that in my professional work studying this place. I see it in the big things, right? In the, um, you know, the free admission policy in uh, the uh, access and education programs um, uh, that have expanded so rapidly in the last five years um, and in great community events like this 24-hour party. Um, but I also see it every time I come here in, in the small things, um, including um, wel welcoming her that night. So that's, that's my memory. Thank you. So I'm going to also start by thanking Heidi. I think that that you know, round of applause was you know, really meant to address the fact that we're here, not just in this moment, in this place today, but we're here because of the efforts of many people. And you're one of the greatest forces that have really brought a lot of people together, myself included. And this is somewhat unusual for me because I'm usually behind the scenes. And so um, thank you also for giving me the chance to be more um, in the front to be able to share what has mattered the most to me over the last five years. The first kind of big thing that I did when I came to Aspen was the 24-hour opening. And so it's been a really interesting full circle to come back into this moment um, and be able to look forward while looking back. 
And I actually would like to read, um, looking back to another educator who has been, played a big part in the museum that Dick mentioned, uh, Philip Yenowin was the first director of the museum. And in the book that we've published, we did a kind of brief interview so that we could capture his voice. And he said a quote that really, I think, touches on exactly the spirit that we are in right now. I asked him, why do you think art matters? And he said, the arts matter because they are what make us human and humane. They make us think and often feel at the same time. They feed our spirits. Art is everyone's birthright, and without it, we are at peril. And what I feel through every moment, up, down, sideways at the Aspen Art Museum is that there is life, there is vibrancy, there is um, so much love and just beautiful spirit because of the people. And so that's the memory that I'd really like to share is the wonderful people that I've been so fortunate to come in contact with. Samuel was one of them. We've worked very closely on Arte en Español. Um, someone who I had hoped could be here today, Roland McCook, and um, the whole kind of Ute family that we've been able to build relationships with um, is another kind of family member of the museum's extended family that I'd like to recognize. Um, I'd also like to recognize all of the schools. We serve thousands of school children um, in a 100-mile radius, and they've all, like, it never gets old seeing how excited they are to ride the glass elevator. Um, the people who come and help us, like Grassroots, who helps us film this event, all the people behind the stage that feed us, often for free, the people who put the art on the walls seamlessly, flawlessly, without anybody knowing how much work they do behind the scenes, the staff that make this possible, our guides that put up with a lot of stress and, um, and people asking them what they know about the art when it's the first time they're also seeing it. There's just so many people that come together to make this museum possible. Um, the art is what starts us and convenes us and the people are what carry us. And so that's what I'd like to kind of hold on to and share with you is what I love the most about my time at the Aspen Art Museum. Thank you. Yeah. And since Heidi is our fearless leader and doesn't often have anyone asking her these questions, I would like to ask you, what is your favorite memory of the Aspen Art Museum? I don't know that I have uh, one favorite, but I, a story that I tell a lot is um, the project that we did with Javier Tejas. And, um, you know, when we talked about um, improv, like the improbable, right? So um, Javier Tejas is a Venezuelan artist and um, both of his parents are psychiatrists and he grew up in a home where his parents would see patients um, with the doors open between the office and the home. So mental health was um, destigmatized. So he's always worked with people who have, um, who have the challenges of mental illness and made work together. And so I, before I worked here, worked at the Berkeley Art Museum and I was very fortunate to travel to the Sydney Biennial and I saw an installation by Javier that he had collaborated with women who were in a psychiatric hospital outside of Sydney and those interviews were juxtaposed with the original French Joan of Arc film. And I worked at the Berkeley Art Museum and Pacific Film Archive and I was so moved by this work and I wanted to bring it um, to to our institution. Um, and then, so I reached out to him, set up a studio visit in New York, and then in the interim between setting up that visit and going to New York, I resigned from the Berkeley Art Museum and decided to come and work here as the director. So I went to see him anyway um, because I was so excited about what he had done, and, and I said, you know, that film's just not the right context for here, but I wanted to come and see you. And he said, you're going to Colorado? And I said, yeah. And he said, I've always wanted to make a Western. 
And I was like, cool. And he goes, based on Oedipus Rex. And I was like, huh, okay, that sounds great. Like, let's do that. So uh, we looked for a, a community to collaborate with here, and we found the Oasis Clubhouse in Grand Junction. And we drove down there, and they were like, you know, who are you, and, you know, what do you want to do? I just... I just started here. So we went down there and we gave a presentation to the full group of Clubhouse members about wanting to make this Western based on Oedipus Rex. And a guy in the audience raised his hand and he said, I wrote a Western based on Oedipus Rex. We were like, really? Okay, great. And he said, yeah, I'll send you the script tomorrow. Great. We leave, we're driving back. Like, how, like, how improbable is this, right? Like, Really? So sure enough, the next morning we get this script, full, you know, 60-page script, um, Western based on Oedipus Rex, and it was written by this guy named Aaron Sheely, who was a member of the clubhouse. Turns out he had been a graduate student at USC Film School. He was uh, manic depressive, and he had to drop out. So that night, he stayed up all night, and he wrote this script. He ended up starring in this film as Oedipus, and um, we filmed it out at Ashcroft. We put together a totally local crew, um, uh, you know, amazing people who work in the film business like all over the world, but also have connections to Aspen. Um, 40 degree temperature variations in the day, like no cell service, two trips to the emergency room, cold coffee. I mean, so difficult. Riding horses, you know, oh, and right before we started filming, Javier decided all the actors should wear Japanese no masks through the whole film, including when they were on horses and, and whatnot. So anyway, the, the members of the clubhouse came up here. They, we put them up for two weeks. They went back to Grand Junction. We edited the film. And we did a screening just for the clubhouse members um, and their doctors and families at the old museum. And at the very end of the filming, Javier had decided that each character, there would be a full shot of their face, and they would each lift their mask up, and you would see their eyes. And it was so, so moving. So, you know, at the old museum, film ends, every mask gets lifted up, you see all the characters, you see into their eyes, and, you know, we're downstairs socializing, and one of the doctors came up to me and said, you know, when everyone returned from Aspen, they were alive in a way they never had been before. And that's where that notion that art saves lives came from. So that's my takeaway. Thank you.